Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, where we investigate disasters at sea and the impact that they have on the world today. My name is Eleanor, and here with me is my co-host Derek. Hello. Today we will be discussing the sinking of RMS Empress of Britain, an ocean liner that sank in World War II off the coast of Ireland. Before we dive in, I must inform you. This story does include details of a maritime disaster resulting in the loss of a vessel, wartime violence, Nazism, and death that may be disturbing to some audiences. Your discretion is advised. Please note before we begin that neither Eleanor nor I are mariners or experts in the field of maritime history, but we have done our research and will present the information as we understand it and with accurate nautical terminology. In today's episode, we'll be including the basics of nautical terminology in the description for anyone who needs it. Today, there will be some terms in the German language in which we are not fluent, but we'll do our best to give accurate pronunciations. Thanks, Derek. In the past, we have spoken about a ship called the RMS Empress of Ireland that sank in the St. Lawrence River in Canada in 1914, and she had a sister ship named RMS Empress of Britain. This is not the ship we are talking about today. The Empress of Ireland's sister ship was scrapped on June 17, 1930, after having been sold and renamed to Montreal. So the RMS Empress of Britain we are talking about today is the second ship of the Canadian Pacific Steamship Company by that name. There are actually three ships by this name, so I just had to clarify. It is commonplace for ship companies to reuse names in the next generation of vessels as they retire the older counterparts. For example, the White Star Line had four different vessels called the Belgic. Now that we have that out of the way, let's dive into this story. RMS Empress of Britain was owned by the Canadian Pacific Railway Company, being operated by the Canadian Pacific Steamship Company. Work began on RMS Empress of Britain on November 28, 1928, at the John Brown & Co. shipyard in yard number 530 in Clydebank, Scotland. With the clanking of hammers, the whirring of rivets drilling into steel plating, and the sounds of men hard at work, the first plates of her keel were laid. After one and a half years of building, she was launched on June 11, 1930 by the Prince of Wales Edward VIII, who was briefly King of the United Kingdom from January to December of 1936. The launching of Ceremony of Empress of Britain was the first launching to be broadcast via radio to Canada and the United States. She would be completed on April 5, 1931. RMS Empress of Britain was an ocean liner that displaced 42,348 gross registered tons. She was 760 feet and 6 inches long, had a beam of 97.8 feet wide, and a draft of 32 feet and 8 and 1 quarter inches tall. She had a maximum capacity of 465 first class, 260 tourist class, and 470 third class, or just 700 of a single class when cruising. She averaged a crew of 740. For anyone asking what tourist class is, tourist class is the equivalent of second class. In the 1930s and 1940s, shipping companies were starting to move away from first, second, and third class, moving toward tourist and cabin class instead leaving behind the overly luxurious and exclusive nature of the first class of the past. Some cruise lines still offer an experience similar to first, second, and third classes, with exclusive dining rooms, lounges, and accommodations for each, with Cunard Lines being one of them. They offer the Queen's Grill, Princess Grill, or Britannia classes. RMS Empress of Britain was powered by nine water tube boilers, eight of them being Yarrow boilers and one was a Johnson boiler, the first ship to be fitted with this experimental boiler design. 
They supplied steam to 12 Parsons steam turbines, which drove the four propeller shafts by single reduction gearing. She averaged 24 knots for her maximum service speed, but during her sea trials, she did achieve a maximum speed of 25.271 knots, and this made her the fastest ship on the England to Canada route. She was also the first ocean liner designed specifically to become a cruise ship during the winter months when the St. Lawrence River was frozen and impossible to traverse safely. Her typical transatlantic service route during the summertime was between Southampton, England, and Quebec, Montreal. Since her route was more northerly, and therefore she had the possibility of running into ice, she was built with double the thickness on her steel plating at the stem and for 150 feet back at either side, all the way up to the waterline. She was a sleek looking ship, painted all white on the body of the ship, green from the waterline to the bottom of the keel, and three yellow smokestacks. She was a safe and gorgeous ocean liner, with her designers truly thinking of every possibility for her. On April 11, 1931, Empress of Britain began her sea trials, passing them easily, and it showed that she was the world's most economical steamship for fuel consumption per horsepower hour for her day. After her sea trials, she left for her maiden voyage from Southampton on Wednesday, May 27, 1931, toward Quebec at 1.12 p.m. After a short delay from an inspection by the Prince of Wales, she was intended to entice more passengers to take the Southampton to Quebec route instead of the ever-popular Southampton to New York City route we typically know ocean liners to take. Given her gargantuan size and speed, she was given many nicknames, some of which were the five-day Atlantic Giantess, Canada's Challenger, and the world's Wondership. Since she was designed to also be a cruise ship, she was kept small enough to be able to fit through the Panama and Suez canals. She was still large, but just small enough to fit in these more cramped areas. And it was so cramped that when she passed through the Panama Canal, there were only seven and a half inches between the ship and the canal lock wall. That's a pretty tight squeeze. One wrong move and she could damage her hull or the walls of the lock. When she was cruising, two of her engines were turned off and the two outboard propellers were removed since speed was not important when on cruises. She also served as a beacon at night during emergencies, with her three funnels illuminated by floodlights, making them look like three beams of gold against the dark sky. From the air, these three bright funnels could be spotted 50 miles away, and ships could see it from 30 miles away. Before World War II, the Empress of Britain made nine round trips in 1931 between Southampton and Quebec carrying roughly 4,891 passengers westbound and 4,696 eastbound. For the start of her winter cruising, she made the transatlantic trip to New York City, carrying 378 passengers. On the 3rd of December in 1931, she took a 128-day round-the-world cruise. She went to the Mediterranean, North Africa, and the Holy Land, through the Suez Canal and into the Red Sea, onto India, Ceylon, Southeast Asia, and the Dutch East Indies, through to China and Japan, then a Trans-Pacific journey to Hawaii and California, before making her way through the Panama Canal back to New York City. After this long and exhausting journey, she made the transatlantic voyage back to Southampton, where she was dry docked for maintenance and reinstallation of the outer propellers. This same cruise schedule was done year after year until 1939, with each year making small adjustments except 1933, which was the same as the 1931 trip. The company who owned her, Canadian Pacific Railway Company, initially hoped to convince Canadian and American Midwesterners to take the train to Quebec City instead of New York City, 
The pro to this route, instead of leaving from New York, was one extra day of smoother sailing on the shorter, sheltered St. Lawrence River. Canadian Pacific even advertised it as 39% less ocean to entice more passengers to choose their liner. Despite their initial success, sadly, RMS Empress of Britain would prove to be one of the least profitable ocean liners from the 1930s as the novelty of this beautiful ship wore off. In 1938, she was the largest ocean liner to have ever visited Australia. She started off in Sydney from April 2nd to April 4th, moving to Melbourne on the 6th. In Melbourne, over 250,000 people showed up to welcome RMS Empress of Britain to Australia, as reported in the Argus newspaper on Thursday, April 7, 1938. Later in June of 1939, three months before war would break out all over Europe, she sailed from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Conception Bay, St. John's, and Newfoundland in Nova Scotia before traversing the Atlantic to Southampton with her smallest reported passenger list. Only 40 guests were aboard. King George VI, Queen Elizabeth, 13 ladies and lords-in-waiting, 22 household staff, a photographer, and two reporters. The royal couple and their entourage had the whole ship to themselves, being berthed comfortably in a continuous string of suites. After this illustrious voyage, she returned to her regular service before the war began. On September 1, 1939, Germany invaded Poland and thus began the largest, deadliest war this planet has ever seen. RMS Empress of Britain left Southampton on her last service voyage for Canadian Pacific on September 2nd, 1939, one day before the UK would declare war and seven days before Canada would. On this voyage, she had the largest passenger list in her history. She was overstuffed, with temporary suites being made in the squash court and other communal spaces. She zigzagged across the ocean, a common practice to protect ocean liners from U-boats, arriving safely in Quebec on September 8, 1939. Upon arrival, she was immediately requisitioned. As part of this process, her funnels and hull were painted navy gray, and she was laid up, awaiting her first assignment. On November 25, 1939, she finally was given a task as a troop transport ship. Her first four trips were transporting troops from Canada to England, and she did so successfully. After that, in June of 1940, she was sent to Wellington, New Zealand, and then returned to Scotland as part of the million-dollar convoy that consisted of seven luxury ocean liners that had been requisitioned. These liners were RMS Andes from the Royal Mail's Lines Fleet, RMS Aquitania from the Cunard Lines Fleet and Sister of the Lusitania, RMS Mauritania also from the Cunard Lines Fleet and Sister Ship of the Lusitania, RMS Empress of Canada from the Canadian Pacific Fleet, RMS Empress of Japan from the Canadian Pacific Fleet, the famous RMS Queen Mary from the Cunard Lines Fleet that is now a floating hotel in Long Beach, California, and finally RMS Empress of Britain. She transported troops to Suez from Cape Town, South Africa, returning with her crew of 419 men and 224 civilians and military personnel. However, this was the last time she would be so successful. Around 9.20 a.m. on October 6, 1940, RMS Empress of Britain was traveling about 70 miles northwest of Ireland along the west coast of the country when she was spotted by a German Falk Wolf FW 200C Condor long-range bomber. This bomber was commanded by Oberlieutenant Bernard Jope, and as soon as they sighted the Empress, they immediately strafed her three times. They also dropped two 550-pound bombs on her. 
No one realized which ship Jope had attacked until he returned to northern France, and a telex was sent to German Supreme Headquarters. I had no idea what a telex was before I looked it up, so I'll define it for you as well. The telex network is a station-to-station -station switched network of teleprinters similar to a telephone network. Think of a bunch of fax machines, essentially. After this telex was received, the Germans sent a reconnaissance plane to confirm. The German news agency that received the news reported this. The Empress of Britain was successfully attacked by German bombers on Saturday morning within the waters of Northern Ireland. The ship was badly hit and began to sink at once. The crew took to their boats. Now, take this with a grain of salt. Nazi Germany was famous for spreading propaganda and lies to instill their beliefs in the minds of German citizens. Instead of taking this at a face value, we'll go over what we do know from the sinking. Despite the ferocious nature of the attacks against RMS Empress of Britain and the subsequent fires, there were thankfully few casualties. At 9.20 a.m. after the bombs struck the ship, a fire broke out that began to consume the ship. By 9.50 a.m., Captain Sapworth gave the order to abandon ship. This information already contradicts the Germans' newspaper statement that the ship sank quickly. If that were true, they would have called for abandonment much before 9.50 a.m. The fire was primarily amidships, causing passengers to head for either the bow or the stern, and made launching lifeboats difficult. Most of the 205 passengers, 416 crew, and two gunners were scooped up by the destroyers ORP Burza and HMS Echo, and the anti-submarine trawler HMS Cape Arcona. No, not the Cape Arcona that we talked about three weeks ago. A greatly reduced crew remained aboard RMS Empress of Britain, trying to fight the fires. Due to the fires, the ship was entirely immobile. However, the good news was that she was not sinking and the hull was intact despite having a slight list, though we were unable to find if this list was port or starboard. At approximately 9.30 a.m. the following day, on October 27, 1940, a group from HMS Broke climbed aboard the Empress to attach tow ropes. Surely, they were met with smoke that burned their lungs and made their eyes water, the smell of burnt steel and the crackling of the wooden decks ablaze around them. After successfully attaching tow ropes to the Empress, the other ends were attached to two ocean-going tugs, HMS Marauder and HMS Thames. They took the smoking, burning hulk under tow, being escorted by HMS Broke and HMS Sardonyx, making for land at a ghastly slow four knots, with short Sunderland flying boats providing cover from above. They were towing the boat to land in an attempt to salvage the boat, especially since she was suspected to have been carrying a vast amount of gold. Unfortunately for the salvage crew, a German submarine, U-32, had been informed of where the ship was going and headed toward her with one goal in mind. U-32, commanded by Hans Janisch, had to dive due to the flying boats overhead, but was able to use hydrophones at night to locate the ships and close in on them. A hydrophone is a microphone designed to be used underwater for recording or listening to underwater sounds, and in this case was being used as a passive sonar, which uses sounds for navigation. The destroyers had been zigzagging, which was a tactic used to try and outmaneuver U-boats, but U-32 squeezed in between the ships and Empress of Britain, and there she fired two torpedoes. The first detonated before reaching her destination, but unfortunately the second hit and caused an enormous explosion. Crews of the destroyers towing the ship speculated this explosion was exaggerated by the pre-existing fires on the ocean liner that reached the fuel tanks. 
U-32 fired a third torpedo, hitting the ship just aft of the previous one. RMS Empress of Britain began taking on tons of water quickly, heavily listing to one side. Seeing no other options, the tugs slipped free of their lines and finally, at 2.05 a.m. on October 28, 1940, RMS Empress of Britain sank northwest of Bloody Foreland, Ireland, all of the rumored gold on board disappearing with her. Since she was suspected to be carrying gold, since Great Britain had been shipping gold to North America to improve its credit and pay its debt for the supplies that had been sent for the war effort, South Africa was a major gold producer at the time, and RMS Empress of Britain had only recently birthed in Cape Town, South Africa. And that, my friends, is where the rumors of her carrying gold began. Most of the consignments of gold, however, were transported from Sydney, Australia to Cape Town, where it would then be loaded up and taken to America. There were not enough suitable ships for this task, and so the going was slow, leaving gold held up in Sydney quite often. Therefore, it makes it feasible that because of this delay, Armis, Empress of Britain, was then employed to transport gold from Cape Town to England, where it could then be shipped across the Atlantic and into America. Since we know where the wreckage is on January 8, 1949, it was reported by the Daily Mail that a salvage attempt was going to be made that summer. However, there were no follow-ups and the story contained inaccuracies. In 1985, a potential salvager for the wreck received a letter from the Department of Transport Shipping Policy Unite stating that all of the gold on board the Empress had already been salvaged previously. There was another salvaging attempt in 1995, however. When the 1995 group of salvagers reached the wreckage of RMS Empress of Britain, she was completely upside down, with her keel facing upward, roughly 500 feet down in the ocean. Using saturation diving, which is diving for long periods of time where all the tissues in the body reach equilibrium with the pressure around it, the team found the fire had destroyed most of the decks, leaving a mostly empty, rusted shell resting on the bottom of the ocean. The bullion room, where the gold was rumored to be kept, was surprisingly largely still intact. Inside, there was no gold, but instead they found a skeleton, presumed to be from a previous salvage operation. It is largely assumed that the gold was unloaded from the Empress when the crew and passengers evacuated, but that has never been confirmed. Who knows? Maybe the treasure is still out there somewhere. This episode hopes to shed light on the sinking of RMS Empress of Britain and honor the survivors of the disaster. Please remember, unless you are a highly experienced dive master with a large supporting crew and the proper setup, we advise against diving the wreck of RMS Empress of Britain. It is not worth losing your life for the slim chance of gold being down there. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday. If you like this episode and are listening on YouTube, please give us a like, leave us a comment, and subscribe to our channel. If you like this episode and are listening on Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, please subscribe for more content and leave us a five-star review as it does help us reach more listeners like you. If you have any ships you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment and we'll put it on our schedule. Shout out to our listener Brian Cronin on YouTube for suggesting two ships for us to cover. After we cover SS Laurentic, we will look at both SS Arandora Star and SS Justicia. Thank you. Check out Speed Force Media on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Shipwreck Sunday. Tune in next Sunday for the story of SS Laurentic, a White Star Line ocean liner that infamously chased down a murderer. We also have exciting news for you, Shipwreckers. There will be a Halloween special released at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Halloween Day on the Mary Celeste as famous ghost ship. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.